0: alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Every year during the month of June, the LGBTQIA2 community celebrates and is celebrating in many ways. Across the globe, various events are held during this special month as a way to recognize the influence that the LGBTQIA2 people have around the world. June was chosen because that's the month of the Stonewall riots that took place in 1969. As generous leaders, we aim to celebrate the dignity, equal rights, self-affirmation, and awareness of the issues members of this community face in the workplace. Today, our guest is Kathleen Quigley. Her pronouns are she, her, hers. She was assigned male at birth and is a transgender woman. What I appreciate most about you already, Kathleen, is your willingness to share some of your experience and wisdom with us. Welcome to ROG, Kathleen. Thank you so much, Shannon. I'm glad to be here. Great to have you here. Great to meet you. And I really look forward to learning with you. Um, so could you just share some of your highlights of your story, Kathleen? Certainly. Yes, I'm a
1: trans woman. I, I transitioned later in life. So it's only been a few years for me. Um, but I started out just as a lot of people do. I'm, I'm pretty old. I'm 60. So um, I grew up in the in the 60s in um, Washington, D.C. And um, my family was benignly neglectful. I don't know. I was the fourth of fifth, fourth of five children and I just sort of was left to my own devices and um, I knew something was wrong with me from very early on, but honestly, I had no way of conceiving that what a transgender person was. I had I had no idea. I just knew there was something very wrong. but I was also I also learned very quickly that I had to suppress all of that. And so I did. I hid. Uh, and like some folks that I've met in my journey, um, you know, I overcompensated. So I became an alpha male. I played sports. I became an executive at work and became powerful and that sort of, thing. well, powerful, but, you know, I tried, I was really, I really tried to overcompensate and that was a huge mistake. Uh, so after many years of of working in the electronics industry, I've been an engineer and designer of computer chips and had a great career, had a lot of fun, but I, I was just not, I was not open to people. I, I, I masqueraded my entire life and I was hiding behind a facade I built of what I thought I should be, which was this upright um, man. And it took me a while, but I figured it out uh, what was wrong with me or wrong or how I was different, I think is maybe a better way to say it. Um, and then uh, um, my company uh, companies did very well, and I was able to retire um, or well step back from working every day and to be with my kids. And you know, I started to have the t- I had the time then to to get some uh, therapy help, and that helped me really understand what was going on. But I don't know if I if you can understand this, but I never told anyone until I told this therapist. Um, In my 50s, no one knew my and my I was married for 33 years before we divorced um, rather amicably. I mean, we're still friends, but um, she did not know. And it came out all in a rush. And we worked together very hard to try to make it right. But we couldn't. So we divorced a few years ago. But um, my journey has been one of of being a fraud, in effect, uh, being a pretender. Um, until I could finally understand and then face up to my my true self and to be to live authentically, and that transition was very costly in many ways, but and very painful. But I think also absolutely necessary. Um, I, I don't. I'm sure I would not be here today had I not found a way to transition.
0: Yeah, thank you, Kathleen. That is. There's so much there, and I really appreciate your courage and willingness to share that with us. And to try to understand, you know, what that might have felt like for you to not be able to be your true authentic self until recently and to feel like you were a fraud. And, you know, the term you used about something wrong with me and then you corrected yourself. I mean, it just makes me think that there's got to be a myriad of ways that people refer to being transgender that are incorrect or unintentionally offensive and maybe sometimes intentionally offensive. So throughout the course of our conversation, Kathleen, if and when I make one of those mistakes, I please encourage you to correct me openly so that everybody can learn <laughs> as as I'm learning. Um, and so when you, when you corrected yourself just there, you were saying that um, it's not what's wrong with me. It's like being more authentically myself, or forget how you said that, but How, how would you say that to people who are working through this themselves? Like to, to, to edit that language of like, this isn't what's wrong with you. This is how you identify.
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, I don't think there was anything wrong with me, I guess. I I did for many, many years. I was told, I grew up believing that that there was something very wrong. Um, I had a lot of good Catholic guilt and, um, I had this image of what I was supposed to be. Uh, but I've come to understand that gender is a spectrum and it's, it's, it's a social construct. And it is very different than sexuality or biological sex. It's a very complicated situation. And I can't speak for the entire transgender community. But to me, I realized I was just in the wrong in the wrong body, if, for lack of a better term. So, and, and it got so bad, my, they call it gender dysphoria, um, that I really was going to take my own life. I attempted it multiple times and it, it would just do, I thought there was no way out until I find, and I thought transition would be Armageddon. I thought the world would come to an end and, you know, everything would stop. But when I finally faced it, um, it gave me the ability to live. And uh, people people who've known me before and after will tell you that I'm, I'm, I'm the same person, but I'm also totally different. But I didn't really address your question. I think your question was, what do some people say or how do they think that maybe isn't correct? And one is that this isn't a, a choice for me. I, I'm really just trying to be true to who I am. Um, and for me, that meant... Physically, I needed to change and not all trans people feel that and are able to to affect changes in their bodies or feel like they need to. I did. I felt like, okay, I I was male. I shouldn't have been. I should be female. So I've addressed trying to do that. Uh, But the the bottom line is that it's it's who you know you are and it's not a choice. It's not a fad. Um, and, And I would say. It was the hardest, most difficult thing I've ever done. And I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Uh, It's horrendous. Um, It's very difficult. So it's not a choice and it's not a lifestyle choice, uh, I guess, is the big thing. Um, The trouble with your question, though, I think, is that there are such a variety of ways that people now understand their gender. You know, I'm very... Binary is not even a good word because that's used for some other things. But I very much see it as I was male, but I really need to be, I really was female. And so I needed to switch, you know, A, B. But so many people experience a a, a gradation across this spectrum of gender and they identify in different ways. So I guess the thing to do is to listen to what people, um, how they Perceive themselves and try to give them the benefit of the doubt that they know better about themselves than you do.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Right. They know themselves and to be curious, to be open. Um, so, when you were saying that going through this, like it was just going to be something so unbelievably hard, and then in fact it was, what can we appreciate about how that was for you, Kathleen? Like, help us understand just how it felt and and just what you've been through.
1: Well, I felt like I would lose my family. I would lose the connection and support of my family. Um, and I thought I would lose my friends and my position in society. And, and in fact, a lot of that did come, come to pass, honestly. But I obviously was divorced and that was not something that I wanted. But, um, and I, you know, I was estranged from my two children for some time. Well, mainly my son. Um, But, you know, it it took some time and we've patched things together and I think he's supportive of me now and we have a much better relationship. Um, My daughter was supportive from early on. She was great. But it's a it's a hard thing for children to understand that, you know, dad is not really what you thought he was, you know, and, and it's been it's been difficult. It was difficult, I think, for both of them. Yeah. And, you know, I don't have a lot of extended family, but. It was difficult for them, but they have been great uh, after some time to sort of get used to it and see that it's real and that it's uh, that I'm happy. You know, I'm happier. But on the other hand, uh, I was able to go back into the world. And so, you know, I've gone back and and joined boards that I was on before and and joined other things that are public where I can be visible and I can be um, in the world and not just off in a little Subculture.
0: What are some things that people do that make you recognize that you are, in fact, accepted and included and celebrated, even exactly as you are?
1: Well, just treating me as any other woman, Um, for instance, in a a church group, you know, being automatically uh, included in in the invitation to a women's Bible study or you know things that are traditionally very segregated by sex.
0: Yeah, I I appreciate that and and recognizing that you are fortunate in that way because there is a lot of data to back up that transgender individuals are subject to violence and poverty and abuse and other really horrific treatment. I mean, what, what can you share with us about that and just being more sensitive to and awakened to those realities?
1: Well, I have to say, even I live in Atlanta and it's a wonderful city and very accepting. It has a large uh, gay community, for instance, and has for many, many years, um, has one of the biggest pride celebrations. So um, I think behind San Francisco and New York, it's the third, you know, it's a huge thing. And so there's a lot of awareness and acceptance of folks. But even in Atlanta and in a very nice um, part of Atlanta, I was in a restaurant one day, and I had this woman walk right up to me and tell me I was an abomination and I was going to burn in hell. And how could I do this and destroy, you know, bring down society? I, I, she ranted. And finally, uh, uh, the manager, I think, came up and asked her to go sit down. <laughs> and this was in the heart of Atlanta. Um, so I don't, that's happened a couple times. That was the most brutal, I guess. But But I've been very fortunate.
0: When we come back, Kathleen will share some of the practical ways others can help when witnessing discrimination and disrespect. Hello, I'm Marianne Newell, Assistant Director of College Support at St. Joseph University's Kinney Center for Autism Education and Support. Located in Philadelphia, the Kinney Center has a twofold mission to educate and train the autism professionals of tomorrow while supporting and serving individuals and families affected by autism today. I'm part of the Aspire College Support Team, helping St. Joseph's University students with autism achieve collegiate success through social and executive functioning support. Learn more about our services by visiting stu.edu k-i-n-n-e-y. And we're back with more from Kathleen Quigley. For the allies listening to that, Kathleen, which hurts any one of us to hear somebody being treated like that, what what should someone do when something like that happens? Like the manager asked this person to sit down, but let's just say they didn't and this carried on. You know, what could an ally do that would be viewed as helpful in your, in your opinion? Um, well, I think
1: any... Attempt to try to break the confrontation would be helpful. Someone to stand up and say, this is not appropriate. Please leave this person alone. Um, You know, keep your opinions to yourself. I don't know. Um, I I do think it's important, Yeah, to have people stand up for other people and not allow. It's the same way with the, the schoolyard bully. What do you do? Well, if your friends stand up for you, it diffuses the situation. And I think that's very, very analogous that. Um, Sometimes we get bullied and we get picked on and it helps to have someone step in and say, hey, this is not right.
0: So thinking about the workplace and you said that you've transitioned back into the workplace and you're on boards and you're actively engaged and you're working with several different organizations. How would you describe generous leadership in the workplace related to sexual orientation?
1: Well, I um, when I stopped uh, working for, for Broadcom, the company I helped start, um, I started to consult and I consulted a number of years, but I really didn't do a whole lot. I was busy transitioning. But when I did transition um, out of the blue, I got contacted by a, a lawyer, a patent lawyer who um, was actually litigating a case that included some of my patents from my work. You know, I have like 150-some patents. And um, so, you know, it was bound. Maybe someone would, you know, dispute one. But this was a big case. And um, he looked up, of course, Tom Quigley, you know, the author of the patent and the papers and the, you know, things from my history, and came looking for me and found me. But I was no longer Tom, (laughs) Um, so when I first answered, you know, I was like, uh, yes, this is Tom, I guess. Um, but when I realized I was going to work, I was going to take, try to work for this. I, I had to, I had to level with, I said, look, I, you know, this may sound weird, but I've transitioned and blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm now this, and this is how I do it. And he said, oh, hmm well, I'll get back with you. And I thought, well, that's the last I've heard of him. But it wasn't. Uh, two weeks later, he called me back up and said, well, you know, Miss um, Quigley, uh, as long as you've transitioned and you're not going to transition back, I'm fine with this. And uh, he was fine with it. It was amazing. And so there were this is a big legal team. And uh they all were great. And so I literally was, was traveled and did depositions and did things with them. Oh gosh, just months after being full time. So I was very, it was, you know, it's a process and it takes time to figure out. And so I was very awkward and yet they just were so great and just, and you know, they didn't know me. They didn't, I mean, maybe they wanted my expertise and, you know, maybe there was a reason why they went the extra mile, but they, they did. And, um, the case lasted a good five years and went to trial last year, or during COVID, and uh, it was just a it was just a wonderful thing. So that was real generosity. And not only did he accept me and bring me into the workplace, and I'm sure he told people, "Look, you know, <laughs> you need to you need to get on." And they were all great. Um, but he also um, coached me and mentored me in how to be an expert witness and uh, encouraged me to to hang in there. You know, I, I'm an engineer. I, I want to do things one way. And this was a legal thing. And it's not always exactly, you know, what is the answer to the equ- equation? It's how do you present it to a jury and how the argument needs to flow and all kinds of details that I had no idea about. And he, he has worked with me for years now and has just been great. So that's, a, I really appreciate him.
0: I love that story and that, that generosity, <laughs> that that even the, the the time he took from the original call to the follow up call, and so both of us have cable telecommunications industry experience. Me as a coach and team facilitator, and you as an engineer. I'm curious about your experience as a male in the cable telecommunications industry. Relate now, juxtaposed to you as a female in the in the cable telecommunications industry. What kind of differences have you experienced?
1: I'm sort of on the per- peripheral now of the cable TV industry, but uh, a couple of years ago I was invited to speak to the Women in Cable Television Conference or a big thing in Denver. And I gave a, a speech uh, that was talked about the transitions in the industry from analog to digital and from, you know, the old one-way cable to now, two-way cable and video to data, big, it's about all kinds of transitions. And so I wove in, then I transitioned too during it or, you know, about it. And it was, it was a great experience and I found I was very accepted. What, what really struck me the most though, which maybe isn't exactly on your question, is but after I finished the talk and this, you know, it's a huge group. It was, I don't know, thousands of people. And uh, afterwards, I almost couldn't get out of the building so many people came up and said, my son, my daughter, my nephew, my friend's son, you know, they all had these stories about people who they were concerned about of whether they could transition and be a successful member of society. They needed some encouragement that, yes, in fact, you can do it. And it does. It does help you. But I will say, I don't think that um, cable was particularly friendly to women Um you know, I ran big development organizations, and it was very difficult to find, hire and keep um, women. And so, so maybe a, a story to your point. Um, while, while I was at Broadcom, I had this absolutely brilliant woman working for me, uh, just scarily brilliant and diligent, hard work. You know, she was just great, the best sort of employee ever. And I had this... Uh, job opening that I really wanted her to apply for. You know, I really wanted her, you know, and you have to post it to do all the right HR things, but I really wanted her to apply. And so, you know, I pulled her into my office one day and I said, uh, you know, I was really hoping you'd put in your resume, but the, you know, we need to get moving on this. And she said, oh, no, no, no. I looked at the, the list of uh, requirements and I only had like really seven or eight out of the 10 things you listed. So I'm not qualified. And, Yet she was, and she needed that confidence and that boost um, to say, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to try to do this. And so, you know, know, I felt like it was important to to try to mentor her, but I had very few opportunities because there were very few women in the industry.
0: Yeah, and I want to go back to the reaction of the audience at the Women in Cable event that you spoke at and for all of the people seeking support and advice and encouragement from you. I mean, I just think that is such a gift that you have Kathleen to give the world to talk about your story, like you're doing here with us to help us to see like, yes, there can be life after transition. And here's how you can encourage your loved one or yourself through this transition. And here's how you can be a generous leader and create an organization that, that makes space Mm. for this type of thing. Like what are some of the the things that you notice, kind of right away, when you enter, say, an office building.
1: Hmm. Well, I think I think um, I feel more at ease when I see employees that sort of match the demographics of the world. <laughs> you know, so lots of women and men and men. You know, it it, it takes it's 50 practically, and also then ethnic diversity and and seeing that people are you know, that the room matches the world. And and that's an important, important thing. But to me, uh, when I see a diverse workplace, that makes me feel like, okay, these people get it. They are supportive.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's the people around the space, like who's involved, who's employed there, who's leading that organization. What does it feel like to be there? Do you feel representation is is vast that there, like like you said, it's reflective of society. I think that's that's a really important thing, and and then to you know also be mindful of how people communicate. You know, do they share their pronouns? Do they look for ways to be inclusive and not make assumptions about p- people? Like even which restroom you would use, or you know things that you might need. All of our guests share a favorite quote or life mantra. What is yours, Kathleen?
1: Well, it has nothing to do with being trans, but um, Arthur C. Clarke said that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And that, to me, that's, I mean, obviously, it's nothing to do with being trans, but uh, as an engineer, I'm also very uh, concerned about STEM education. And um, for not only for women and, and people of color, but also for everybody, because we don't educate, we don't make enough engineers and scientists. Um, and I think it's really true. We have such advanced technology now that it, some people, they literally have no idea how it works. And you know, in a post-apocalyptic world, you know, we would be lost without all this stuff. So I think it's important to, to encourage kids and, and adults, too, to be curious about how things work and to, to be aware of just what it kind of just in general what all this technology, where it comes from and, and, and be mindful of it, because it's a very short step to where it's just magic. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. So it's indistinguishable from magic, but it's not magic. But you're saying, like, learn, get, you know, lean into it. So, speaking of like understanding how things work and just taking that empathetic and compassionate, generous kind of approach to leadership, what is some encouragement that you have for our listeners around the topics that we've been talking about today as they go forward? Like, what are some of the things that you hope these generous leaders who are listening do differently because of? what they've learned from you today?
1: Well, I would hope that they would understand that people, some people, unfortunately, need to transition and, or they, they need to be authentic in a way that doesn't fit this cookie cutter male-female dichotomy that we've all grown up with and that it doesn't make you a freak or a, or a, a flake or I don't know what sort of negative terms. You can still be an extremely valuable and contributing member of a team and be transgender or be non-binary. Or, you know, it doesn't mean that you're crazy or you're an idiot or you're not, a, you know, or not a team player. Right. You can still be a very successful person um, and, and exist in the world um, and deal with being transgender.
0: Absolutely. Oh, thank you for that. Thank you for who you are and for sharing some of your story with us and just really being a light, somebody who is helping us to see the way. And I just so deeply appreciate that you made this transition and that you embraced who you are authentically and that that has led you to where you are today. I'm just very grateful for you, Kathleen.
1: Thank you. It's very kind of you.
0: R.O.G. takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Let's start with language and vocabulary. We'll look at the acronym LGBTQIA+. It stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer or questioning, intersex, asexual, ally, and the PLUS intends to include all of those not specific to one of those identities. Getting the language right is challenging for some. And it's not a question of if we're gonna make a mistake. It's when we're gonna make a mistake. And what's important is to identify and learn from those mistakes. For example, in this episode, I made the mistake of saying sexual orientation when I meant sexual identity. It's two different things. Sexual orientation is who I love and am attracted to sexually. And sexual identity is the sex that I identify with. My sexual orientation is heterosexual. And my sexual identity is female, which makes me cisgender. Cisgender is the term used to describe someone who identifies with the gender assigned at birth. Side note, the most inclusive way to say this is gender assigned at birth, not born a female. Kathleen was assigned male at birth and identifies as a female. For some of you, this is entirely new and unfamiliar. For others, this is a relief to hear from real people who are experiencing what you or someone you care about is experiencing. Gaining familiarity, awareness, and knowledge about what it means to be transgender begins with an open heart and mind. It's a matter of life and death. The trans community is the most discriminated against and marginalized, especially those who are in the BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, transgender community. Kathleen said it best. Real people actually can and do transition. While unbelievably challenging and costly, it's necessary and life-changing, and it's often life-saving. No one would ever choose to be trans. It's the most difficult thing that she's ever had to deal with. Think about that. Here's a person who's extraordinarily smart, talented, accomplished, and gifted. She's achieved the milestones that most associate with success, and yet she didn't think she could be herself. This episode is a call to action, to learn about people from other communities, to be our best and our most authentic selves, and to create workplaces where everyone belongs. Join us next week with Rhodes Perry. Until then, stay open, inclusive, and generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast, Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit BridgeBetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.